This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They're dogs, and they're playing poker! <laughs> Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, you'll learn how to avoid becoming miserably rich with founder and CEO of Sensible Money, Dana Onspach. Then, Stacking Benjamin's very own Scrooge, it's OG! And finally, the richest man in the world, it's... I'm sorry, that was a typo, it's just Len Penzo. But that's not all. Halfway through the show, I'll share my filthy rich trivia question. And now, a guy who hit the jackpot when he hired me, it's Joe Salcihai! Hey, welcome to the uh, Humble is Our Middle Name podcast. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show, brought to you on Fridays by State Farm. State Farm agents are small business owners, too, so they know how to help you choose personalized policies that fit your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We're not just going to talk to our local agent. We're going to talk to the people at this roundtable because, man, do we got a great one on this episode. We're going to talk about uh, avoiding becoming miserably rich. And let's start with the guy across the card table from me who feels wealthy every minute he spends with me, Doug. It's uh, Mr. OG. How are you, dude? You know, like a uh, one-armed paper hanger, as Grandpa used to say. He was in the paper business. (laughs) Apparently doing it one-handed was a pain in the butt. So you were really busy. Some of those old phrases, you're just like, yep, whatever. Uh Uh-huh. Don't take any wooden nickels. Right. A three-legged dog in a flea-scratching contest. No idea. Yes, all that (laughs) And, and more. And the guy who is deep under Los Angeles, again joining us, Mr. Len Penzo is here. Len, how are you, my friend? I'm feeling wealthier. I'll tell you that. I got an email today from, and this is hilarious, I, it came across my inbox, from the LenPenzo.com HR department, which Uh-oh. I find Uh-oh. really interesting. No, <laughs> Those are never because, good. You know, I'm going to... 
I'm an employee of one at, at this company. So, but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise and my raise, it was in the attachment in the email. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. So uh, I'll be opening that right after the show here. So I can't wait. So can we hurry Do it this live. up? Make sure you click on the links that are in there too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is, I'm excited. Never knew you had a mystery employee, did you? No, I didn't. But the HR department, I guess, exists. So They always do. I thought, Len, you were beginning this with a joke, as no. always. <laughs> like, everybody's waiting for the Len Penzo joke. I, this really happened. It really happened. Yeah, it sure did. So great. Cheryl last week came into the room, and she's like, what do you got coming from UPS? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I just got a text that you got this UPS package. We got, I'm like, do not click that. Do not, please. <laughs> do you ever get the emails from your body parts? Like I got one the other day said from your colon and it was about, you know, blockages and, you know, it's like, well, uh, you know, that's okay, Mr. Colon, but uh, AI, AI is out of control. <laughs> you know, it's a bad day when you're cold. That's a that neural link thing that, uh, what's his <laughs> yeah. name? I got one from my ovaries. I do, oh boy. And the woman who's wondering again why she came back, she is sauntering towards success we're watching her on the walking uh, the walking platform right now. Dana Onsbox back. How are you? I am doing great, and uh, I am feeling wealthy because I got to take an hour off in the middle of the day to actually run a personal errand, which is very rare. So that was pretty cool. Was the personal errand coming to be with us? Is that yeah. what you're talking about? <laughs> well, you know, then I had to get here early enough to check on my sound system and make sure it was working. Uh, Dave just got the new sound system up and running. She sounds great. Also, uh, the the how many how many steps are we gonna log during today's show? Um, at my speed. Let's have an over under at the pace she's at. Don't now, tell us. Don't tell seven. us. Oh, is this gonna be a trivia question? Yeah, don't tell us. We should bet on it. Oh, okay. Oh, gee, how many steps she thinks she's gonna get starting now? Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say. Well, that is a pretty tepid pace. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm going to say 6,000. Six uh, that seems like a lot. Wow. No, I'm going to say 4,000, 4,000, 4,000, 4,000. I changed my mind. 4,000. Well, I, you know, I was going to say 6,000. So I'm going to say. Well, you uh, can have six. No, I, I, you know what? Uh, I, yeah, okay. Then I'll keep six. I'm going to keep 6,000. Oh, Doug, you get to bet on this one. Yeah, this is. I'm a professional walker. 6,000 steps is three miles, and there ain't no way she's covering three miles in an hour at that pace. I'm going to go with, well, OG, where did you, you went down to 4,000, right? I went down you to went four. You went to four, yeah, yeah. so I'm going to go uh, 39.99. Oh, well, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going 2,000. Oh, you're in I'm on going, this? I should have gone 39.98, OG. I should have gone 39.98 is what I should have done. <laughs> And that's the way you, you solve it. solve Doug's trivia question. You know, I think I'm going to do that. I am going to do that. Yes. You are 39.98. I'm 39.98. There you go, Doug. So I got to be dead on at 39.99 to win it. Dana, I better see you hustling. Do I get a uh, guess in this trivia? Oh, well, you, but you've got the controls, Dana. Dana's like, yeah, I, I was just going to ask, see- like, do I have to stay at this pace or could I be subtly adjusting the pace? All and you of a sudden, know? she's jogging. <laughs> 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 and the show's about to end, and Dana's in a huge Dead sprint. sprint. <laughs> Don't forget, Dana, I control the real trivia. I can make this worth your while. <laughs> if you can nail it to $39.99. <laughs> this is not the real trivia question, but Dana, Dana how many do you think you're going to walk? Well, I, I have an advantage. I know how many I normally walk, but I'll, I'll guess, you know, 2470. God damn it. 
<laughs> yeah, there it is. That's why I was going to say 2000, Doug, right there. I was going to say 26 initially, and I thought, why be specific? If I wasn't so interested in blocking you, it would have gone much better. We've got Dane Ansbach here. We've got Len. We've got OG. We're talking about getting miserably rich on today's show. But before that, uh, Dana, what's the motor that runs that thing? Well, let me tell you all about this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Wow, that's fascinating. Wait, you didn't just play a commercial while I was telling you about it, did you? Well, we wouldn't do that. Keep explaining. What else is cool about the motor? Well, as I was saying, the motor is so quiet. It's like a whisper. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. That is amazing. Does it take unleaded or leaded gasoline, Dana? <laughs> you know, good old-fashioned electricity. <laughs> oh, wow. If you'd have been listening, Doug, during that whole thing, you would have known. All right, we got uh, Dana here, Len, OG. Let's dive in. Our piece today comes to us from the blog of Tony Isola. Tony is a certified financial planner working at this little company called Ritzholt Wealth Management. Never heard of it. No idea. That's a joke for people who, who don't know. Big uh, firm, uh, respected firm. And Tony has written this piece about how to avoid becoming miserably rich. The good news stackers, you don't have to have read this piece. We're actually going to just kind of use this as a jumping off point. But when Tony talks about becoming miserably rich, he starts off here. He asks, would you prefer being special rather than happy. And before you read this, Dana, we'll start with you. How would you describe yourself, going for special or going for happy? I'd say going for happy. How come? Why not special? When I think about the decisions I've made in my life, they were always things that made me light up, if you want to think of it that way, right? Like what are the activities that engage me, that I have energy for, that I want to do more of. We call them shiny. So, you know, you're going along and y'all have the boring stuff you need to do, but then sometimes there's those shiny things. So I've always pursued those shiny things. And so to me, that would really fall under the, the happy category. 
But you never find like in your job serving clients, like you find that you want to be the the special snowflake financial planner that nobody else can get anywhere else? You know, I don't think that's ever what I set out to be. Now, maybe I think I'm that today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, it was never my goal. It was always around, you know, I started in this business back when there were really pat answers to things and it was very much a sales culture. And, and so I always wanted to quantify things. I wanted real answers. I wanted spreadsheets that would actually show people if they should pay off their mortgage or not pay off the mortgage. And so for me, it was all around, like, how do you find real answers to these things? It was was never about being special, although at the time that approach was special. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you start off in the early nineties, right? That wasn't the way financial planning was done. No, I learned sales funnels in the early nineties. Like it exactly. was exactly all about how do you do the Ben Franklin close with people. Wow, I don't, I don't know ben, that one. Ben Franklin close. Oh, you draw this line and you got all the positives and on one side and the negatives on the other, and you say, Dana. This is a tough decision, right? To buy permanent life insurance or a loaded mutual fund. And, and you'd say, we'll put all the reasons you should have life insurance here. And, and, and by the way, I would phrase the question. I learned how to phrase the question very one-sided. So we'll put all the decisions that are for having life insurance on one side and all the reasons against on the other. And this is Ben Franklin said, this is how he made decisions, right? He just, you, you make it not emotional. So what do you think all the reasons are you should do the right thing and have insurance versus all the, you know, loser things where you don't have insurance, which, which, which one should you go with? It was horrible. Hold on. You use that shtick on me. <laughs> look I at the time. That. <laughs> look, look at the time. <laughs> yeah. Len, how about you? Special or happy? You know, when I was younger, it was special. And it took a little bit of life experience to realize that was, for me, the wrong path. And uh, when I was in my early 30s, I, I finally realized, you know, happiness, be, much better to be happy than special. And, uh, I, you know, ironically, once I did that, the part about being special kind of uh, came later after I decided That's I funny. wanted to be happy. Special so, took uh, care of itself. Yeah, special took care of itself. Yep. That's wild. OG, how about you? I'm still probably where uh, Len was in his early 30s in my uh, mid 40s. Like like the transition, I think, to doing and being the thing that you want to do and be and become, as opposed to just focusing on all of the other stuff. And and it's hard for me to kind of think of the word special and happy. Like those two things to me don't look like parallels or, you know what I mean? Like Either are. deciding between those two things. But the way that Len explained it, having to actually choose it, that's... For me, that's an active, that's an active struggle. I think to want to focus on the happiness part of it because I'm not generally a very happy person. Wow, fooled me. We we, <laughs> we but what's funny is is that uh, you and I get coaching from Strategic Coach, and it really is this yeah. this thing here, really focusing yeah. on happy versus being special. That's yeah, not to say I'm not happy. I mean, I'm much more pragmatic, I think. Yeah, but I think, don't you think that the lessons you and I have learned through the coaching we've gotten has led us toward the happy bucket? Yes. And like Glenn said, the those two things kind of merge together. If you're doing all the stuff that you enjoy, then you're not going to be in the space that's the not happy space, I guess. I don't know. You know, and that's and that's yeah. kind of around unique ability. Stacker, if you're sitting here with us going, I don't understand why this is important and what this has to do with anything. Tony opens this up by saying people who choose to be special gravitate toward addiction. There's actually studies that have shown this. 
These aren't the poor souls sleeping in cardboard boxes on a San Francisco street. They're not down and out consuming drugs to avoid the reality of mental illness or a miserable life. Quite the opposite. These are people that are addicted to hardworking, being hardworking, being successful, and being wealthy. He points to Arthur C. Brooks, who uh, dives into the weeds in his book, From Strength to Strength. Have any of you read this book? I haven't read it. Hmm. Brooks says, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the likelihood of drinking rises with education level and socioeconomic status, meaning as we get wealthier and as we have more uh, high-ranking positions in a workplace, we end up self-medicating with alcohol, including drinking at hazardous levels, which can turn off the sensation of anxiety like a switch temporarily. Have you guys seen this in, in your own life, Dana? Have you seen this with people? I've definitely seen this. You know, I don't think I ever had a drinking problem, but I don't drink at all anymore. I certainly used to drink more. And it's night and day difference in the way I feel, I have more energy. And I, you know, when I think about in my 30s, probably drinking was somewhat of a, you know, way to turn off the anxiety in social situations. It's just, so I agree with that sentiment. And I've certainly seen it with clients. You know, I had one client we actually terminated because he showed up visibly not sober for several meetings. And so wow. we were, you know, it became almost dangerous to my staff. And so we said politely, we had to find a way to say, you know, we can't serve you anymore. So yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of truth to that. But I think, Dana, how prevalent this is. I just remember you talk about starting in the early 90s. I mean, I remember that song in the late 80s, the Loverboy song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, right? Like Friday, you've had so much stress. What do you do? You go get loaded because you're getting rid of the stress of having a high pressure job. Yeah. You want to turn it all off. It's the end of the day. And you know, you've got a bajillion things running through your head. You're still thinking about it. And that makes it easy. You know, give me a glass of wine. Give me a vodka. Red Bull was my drink of choice if I was going out. <laughs> yes. I still have those days from time to time, by the way, where I'm like, I just want to, I just want a glass of wine, the self-medication. Uh, Len, how about you? Early in my career, I saw a couple of people who were alcoholics at, at the job office, but uh, they were older gentlemen and they weren't, they weren't management types. They were just rank and file. I don't know what the cause of that was. But you didn't see this people, people high up in your organization that were big well, drinkers. Or, oh, no. So what I, I was going to continue on is, is throughout the rest of my career, usually the people, you know, high up the, the C-suite people, they were definitely workaholics. There's no doubt about that. But all of them, I never saw any of them really have a drinking issue, but they had lots of Maylocks on their desk, almost all of them from the stress. And What's I a would say Maylocks, like uh, antacid, like you Tums. Know, stuff oh. for Tums. Okay. I never heard that That's before. That's what people like, use. That? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They almost all of them had it on their desk, a, a bottle of it sitting on their desk because they probably I, had ulcers. They had, yes, because it was high stress. And I would say, of the ones that I was aware of, I would say two out of three of them had broken families where they were married and they were divorced or they were, you know, they had marital problems or they were mo married multiple times just because their family life suffered greatly from all the work that, that they were putting in, which was insane. And, you know, a lot of them expected us to do the same when we were working with them. And it is, it's very, it, that was stressful on me as well, but uh, I didn't follow them over the cliff. Oh, gee, there was a guy who had a really big practice where you and I began our career that we both knew really well. I don't know if you ever knew that he was just a raging alcoholic, but he definitely was when I got closer to him. 
But did you see many people during your career that were self-medicating? The short answer is yes. And I knew about many people. And it's weird because it's, I was going to say it was part of the culture, but then I was just thinking about the stuff at the Waste Management Open a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys followed any of that, but it got crazy. I mean, it's always kind of the party thing anyway, but it got to the point where they had to shut down alcohol sales completely across the golf course. People were running on the course and doing snow angels in the bunkers during the, you know, while the pros were playing. It, it went from being like this fun party atmosphere to somebody tipped it over the edge and then the whole group followed that. You know, obviously in retrospect, people are talking about it like, okay, that was a bridge too far. And But leading up to that was very acceptable of all of the behavior. And largely it's done because it's fueled by whether it's alcohol or drugs or trying to be famous on TV or whatever it is. But all of that comes with that liquid courage. There's nothing good that came from it on the back end. I, I, the phrase that I heard recently was there's nothing good that happens at a nightclub after midnight. Like, you know it's that, all downhill you, you from know, there. You know, gee, the waste management open, it, it was so bad that they've already changed the name of it for, for next year. It's going to be called the Wasted Management Yes. Open. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Oh, yes. no. And that's right in Dana's backyard. I think, it is. Ten minutes from my house. Were you participating? I, no, I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, I, I used to go. I stopped going years ago. You know, if it's I'm just not got crazy. Yeah, it's, it is out crazy. Of control this year. It was kind of an accepted thing. And I think when, you know, in the industry or in many industries, you know, our experiences on the financial planning side, but, you know, the finance, wealth management, the, the like it's frowned upon to not do those things. Len, like you were talking about, you know, and the boss is staying late and says, Hey, well, let's, let's run out real quick and have a drink. And you're like, dude, it's eight 30, man. Like I got, I got to go home and say hi to my, my kids and get to bed. Cause I got to do this crap again tomorrow at seven. That just kind of as a self-fulfilling prophecy back to the Maylocks or Tums or whatever it is. So sadly it Whoa. was Look Pretty. at Wolf of Wall Street, right? If you grew up in this business in the 90s, I, I, you know, I worked at a big brokerage firm in the late 90s, and that culture was insanity. But it was exactly how you yeah. just described it, OG. I mean, you know, yeah. it was all about the party. It was nuts. The party. Yeah, more, yep. more, more. M-O-A-R. More, more, more. Make as yeah. much money as you more. can and, and party your way around it. Well, yeah. and I remember having a conversation, Joe, just to have a kind of put a point on this in terms of the, the, from a culture standpoint, I remember having a conversation with, with one of our sales leaders who legitimately said, you need to go buy something you can't afford right now so that you're motivated to sell this month and not like go buy, you know, don't go buy like a nice watch. Buy a say, buy some, car. Yeah. Go buy a Porsche because that thing's going to have a thousand dollar payment every single month. You're going to have to work your tail off to afford it. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I had a regional vice president that came in from my brokerage firm who slammed his fist down on the table. There was three of us that were in our first few months. And he said, I want you all to know, no matter what you do here, it will never be enough. And that was, yeah. you know, that more, 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 exactly like you're describing. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Right. Always be closing. Coffee is for closers. Yep. Well, and that gets to the point, Len, what you were talking about was not seeing the alcoholism, but seeing the thing that Tony's really focusing in on here. Because when he's talking about being miserably rich, sure, there's signs of it with alcoholism. There's signs of it with excessive partying after hours because of the self-medication. But he goes right to the heart of it with workaholism, he calls it. Workaholism is defined as the compulsion or the uncontrollable need 
to work incessantly. It is a potential to ruin families without the stigma of cocaine or booze. Many high-powered business leaders conclude they have no choice but to maintain their grueling schedules. Many can't distinguish their perceived obligations from being caught in an infinite labor loop. And the dilemma here is that on one hand, you feel like you have to run after this thing to meet the goal to be special, right? You're clearly not happy. You're chasing special. I need to hit the number to make Dana's boss think I am enough. I, you know, I'm, I'm closer than anybody else to enough. And he says that workaholism feeds fear and loneliness and fear and loneliness then feed workaholism. It's this, it's a circular loop. Uh, Len, you must have seen working for a big company, people that are just workaholics. Oh yeah. Like I said, the guys in the C-suites especially, and I worked with them a lot, especially when we did proposals and talk about high pressure. And um, when you got put on a proposal, you were expected to put in at least 12 to 16 hours a day. You were working shoulder to shoulder with, in many cases, the vice president of the company or presidents of the company. Sometimes the CEO would be in reviewing your work. You were on a 60-day deadline usually, and you had to do this massive proposal and costing and it was brutal and you were expected work weekends, holidays be damned. And the pressure was you had to win. So you had to win the proposal. And you, after you do all that work, if you don't win, then it really comes down on you. So, I mean, it was just brutal. Uh, there were many vacations that I worked. I think I've brought this up before. I've gone, I went to Hawaii and brought my work with me because, you know, it was the only way I could, yes, I had vacation time. I had to use it before it went away. But I was still working in my hotel while everybody, else, you know, while my family's out. Wait a minute, you're you know. taking the vacation day because you because have you, to because it expires. Yeah, it goes away, right? If you don't use it, you lose it after. But least. you're still working during that time, so you're yeah, just, you're still working. But you're looking out the window and you see yeah. palm trees. Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, I remember me and another coworker. We both had Hawaii trips that we had made before this proposal came down, but it was too bad we were stuck. So they allowed us each to go to Hawaii. He was on one island, I was in the other, and we were on a conference <laughs> call, you know, in Hawaii working on this proposal. Well, it was just it's just absolutely we were both like, Can you believe that this is happening to us? But I mean, that's the way it goes. Thank God I didn't do that three hundred and sixty five days a year, whereas most of the C suite people, that's what they did a lot. That was their whole life. For me, that would be maybe two months out of the year, but it was just a living hell every year. We had a guest on January 1st, the amazing Eric Qualman, talking about balance and focus in your life and about having a client 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and he and his family celebrate Christmas. 6 p.m. Christmas Eve, client says, I need this tomorrow morning. Yeah. Like just well, that, yeah, that, that happens. One of my favorite <laughs> Christmas movies is Family Man. Have you seen I mean, it? It's pretty, Cage. pretty quiet movie that uh, didn't really receive a lot of press, but... Um, the one with Nicolas Cage where it's like the ghost of Christmas past, right? Where he gets to peek into the life that he could have had, had he just not followed the the hustle culture or, you know, whatever, kind of the road less traveled type thing. And he hates it. And then he finally likes it, yeah. you know, at the end, basically. Well, that's a know? funny thing. Workaholics think this is the only way. Like I have yeah. to achieve this thing at the top of the mountain. Top 10 traits. I'm just going to read a few of these. 54% of workaholics prioritize work over personal life. 51% worry about work on days off. 50% have it hard to switch off. 48% check emails during the night. 46% of the first to arrive at work and the last to leave. 46% feel too pressured or busy to take their annual leave at all. 45% skip the lunch break after work. Oh, gee, you got to see this among your clients that as people, it, I think as people tend to get wealthier, you tend to see 
these people that can't spend their money because they're so busy in this circular loop. And I, I think the challenge for that is it stops at one point or another. It either stops because there's a health issue. It stops because there's a family issue. Len was talking about divorce and you know all that other stuff that can happen. It stops because they just like glitch out, you know, like I'm out, I can't do it anymore. And then that just slams the brakes on all of the other stuff that's going on from a long-term financial goal standpoint. And I think our job is to remind people as they go through their life, as they are accumulating things and being successful money-wise, that they're on the right path and, and they don't have to do more. You know, it's great to have extra money and it's great to, you know, save it and invest it and that sort of stuff. It's fine. What's the point of, you know, living to be a hundred, having 20 million bucks in the bank and never have gone to Disney? It's ridiculously expensive to take your kids to Disney. We went for one day to Disneyland and, you know, it was like 1200 bucks for what, I mean, that didn't include the churros, which are like $7 a piece. Which were good. You by know, the that's way. funny because speaking of Disney, real quick, OG, my family got the, you know, here in Southern California, we got the, we used to get an annual pass for Disneyland right. for the family. And it was 99 bucks for an annual uh, pass, you know, yeah. per person. And I think that included parking. <laughs> 200 Crazy. each or 175. Tell us more stories about the good old days, Uncle Len. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The first time I went to Disney World, it was 1250 a ticket, $12.50. But that was a long time ago. But my point is, is that, the financial piece of the world would go, that's ridiculous. That's a waste of money. You're, you know, you should invest that and compounded that money that you spent turns into, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, right. I got that. But I got to hang out with my kids at a cool theme park, ride some cool rides, eat churros for lunch, you know, and ice cream sandwiches. Like you don't get to do that all the time. And I would rather trade that and not have as much money. Like, cause there's not, there's, there's no point in having, $10 $10 million or $5 million, whatever the number is, and not have enjoyed it along the way. It's silly. Dana, have you seen this with your clients? Because I would think that at some point, based on what OG's saying, it's got to be hard for some of these successful people to visualize the future. And I know how important we've talked when you've been on the show before about, you know, you kind of got to visualize yourself beyond this work. And I think that a lot of these people would struggle with their planning because they're such workaholics. Yeah, you know, I've probably been lucky to not have seen too much of it because, you know, the nature of people that we attract are getting ready for that transition to retirement. And oftentimes they are in the corporate world and they're, they know they're ready to get out. Mm. So they're looking for that plan out where I've seen it more is actually with people who are entrepreneurs. Uh, and a few times when I've seen it with my clients, I, you know, I remember a, a doctor client who, like, he said to me once, you know, I'm a doctor. That's who I am. I do this and I do that. And if I retire, then what will I be? And that was the, in his mind, right? He, he goes to work and he, and he's explaining this to me. They call me doctor this. They call me doctor that. I get to train the residents. I get to do this. And, and so he just couldn't separate his identity from that. But, at the same time, I, I don't think he was unhappy. You know, he and his wife seemed happy. That's where his joy came from. And so he slowly scaled down to four days, three days, two days a week, one day, and then eventually retired, passed away not too long after uh, he totally retired. I was reading this article, <laughs> thinking through some of the workaholic things, going, oh my gosh, is that me? Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I spent the whole thing saying that. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah, so I... 
where I struggle, and as a strategic coach, I, I've been a part of that in the past also, right? I, I love their concept of free days. I think it's super important to have time to refresh and recharge and absolutely have to do that. At the same time, if you do love your work, there can be things like if I have a free day and I don't have something special planned, like an activity that I'm really looking forward to doing, I might get up and think, man, I actually can't wait to go write this article. Now, maybe that sounds weird, right? But, you know, so would that be workaholic or is it that's where I, I like to be creative and that's where my joy comes from and all of those other things. So I think there can be the healthy aspect of it and some of the unhealthy aspect of it that is referred to in the article. But I think it's funny, Dana, because I think it can also, I, I think it can be both. Wes Moss joined us recently talking again. He's been on a, a few times, but talking again about what the happiest retirees know and the fact that they have at least four of these. What did he call them, Len? These super, not not hobbies, but super pursuits or life pursuits beyond what they do. I think those free days help you stay a little bit more well-rounded so that for people like you who clearly love what you do, me, I love doing this, those free days allow me to remember that it's a marathon, you know, and, and these other things kind of make me more well-rounded. Do you have to remind yourself that? Me? Do I have to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, but for me, it's like, I have to have something I'm passionate enough about on those free days. And so, you know, it's really interesting. It's, it's like, okay, if that's a free day, then I need to go find something I'm passionate enough about to that I'm going to be engaged and not thinking, oh, I don't really feel like doing that. I used to ride motocross and absolutely loved it. Like no problem taking a free day. I'd go out on the trail with my dirt bike any day. That was something that was completely engaging for me. I've taken up pickleball and I enjoy it. It's not the same as motocross. <laughs> and so, say, boy, a lot of people are the opposite of you, yeah. you know? It's almost like CrossFit. How do you know somebody plays pickleball? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> Coming up in the second half of this, Tony actually talks about the solution to workaholism. We're going to get to that and talk about on our end, how do we avoid being miserably rich? But before that, at the halfway point of every show, we have this phenomenal contest between our three uh, frequent contributors, Mr. Len Penzo, OG, and Paula Pant. And Dana, every time you're here, you're playing on behalf of Paula Pant, I think. I don't know if you've ever been on with Paula. You're always playing the part of Paula, aren't you? I think one time I was on with Paula. One time. Well, you're on Team Paula again, which as usual, Dana, has good means good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? I'll take the uh, good news first. Well, the good news is you're going to get to guess last because Paula is reassumed her normal place in last place. Paula has one, OG has two, and Len has two. And because Len is our champion, that yes, means- hey, Did you see my, my trophy back here? Oh, oh, wait, I haven't got the trophy yet, OG. <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> oh, that was good. I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> And by the way, I'm so glad that like three days ago, I finally sent you the the milk bar certificate. Yes. Yes, I got it. Thank you. I can't wait to try it out. Only a month after you won. It's delightful. I tasted it. It kind of tasted like paper, though. I thought it would taste well, a little bad. better, the certificate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no. There's, there's, a, there's an intermediate <laughs> step, Len. Oh, okay. One step. But Len goes first, OG second, and, uh, and Dana, you're going to guess last, which means we just need a question, Doug. They're stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I don't usually play the lottery, but I picked up a couple of tickets this week just in case. 
My motto has always been, you can't win if you don't play. And I figured I'd finally start applying that to things other than dating. I've heard that most people who win the lottery end up miserable, but there's no way I would let that happen to me. I'd be responsible with my money and only buy the things I've always wanted. I've already made a list of things to stick to, just in case. want to be disciplined about this. Of course, I'll add to the list depending on how much I win. But don't worry, I don't want anything crazy for myself. I've kept it modest. You know, only a rotating bed with pink chiffon and zebra stripes and a bathtub shaped like a clam. And for entertaining, something basic, like an all-red billiard room and a 24-seat dining room with an original oil painting by Michelangelo or Rembrandt. Actually, probably both. And of course... The backyard's going to need a makeover. I'm going to add little touches like Grecian statues and S-shaped hedges and just three swimming pools. I'm not going to go crazy. Maybe add in something, you know, common man, like starting an annual carnival with rides and games and a beer garden and an Eagles cover band. Then I'll make the news for being the lottery winner to be responsible and down to earth with their winnings. Publishing houses will fight for the right for my story. Joe's going to have me on as a guest to teach all of you stackers how to be responsible with your lottery winnings, and my memoir will probably become a bestseller. I can't wait. I can already see it all happening. I got an outfit picked out for when I cash in my ticket and everything. Again, something small. I'm going to wear a Canadian tuxedo with a bow tie, just like James Bond. Here's today's question. Really? Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah. I didn't know there was a question attached to this. I think I mean, we're I, out of time, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> you probably guessed the question by now, but just in case you haven't, what is the highest lottery jackpot in U.S. history? I'll oh. be back. I'll be back right after I see how much it'll cost to add an extension on my house for a video arcade and like a pony training room or something. <laughs> something small, something yeah. common man like that. Uh, this is interesting because Dana, this might be the time. This is recent enough that maybe going last isn't great. We'll see. Len, do you remember? You remember when you won the biggest lottery? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Right down the street from me, there was a one of the was it Powerball winners. This was maybe four years ago, three years ago. It was huge, and it was over a billion. Uh, and it was like right down. There's the Seven Eleven right down the street from me here. So that was the, where the winner was, and the owner of the Seven Eleven only got I think a million bucks. For, still for selling that, but still, yeah, it's pretty sucks. cool. That's pretty cool, though, knowing that the uh, winning ticket was right down the street from me. I'm not giving anything away by saying I know it's over a billion dollars. Did you say U.S. Or, or just in the world, Doug? I said U.S. I actually believe it may be in the world, though. Okay, uh, I but, can't. But we will say U.S. US. It could USA. be the world. Okay, but the question is U.S. I know it's over a billion. I know that for a fact. But did it? Get over two billion recently. I don't know. I have two numbers in my head that it's one on. Oh, I don't know if it, if one got over two billion. I think it probably did. I'm going to say two. I'm just going to say two billion dollars, and I'll let two. OG and Dana uh, figure out which side they want to go. Well, OG, you're first. Which side of that are you taking? Well, <clears throat> as a matter of fact. Happen to have the winning tickets right here. (laughs) (laughs) Can't win if you don't play. I too remember this. And just for clarification purposes, this is the advertised jackpot, not the after payout. Yes, right. Advertised jackpot. The billboard number, not the gross, not net. Not the uh, 
present value numbers. And this chicanery. number was so big, by the way, it was gross, Doug. It was totally gross. Super gross. Um, I think it's slightly less. One billion seven hundred million. One point seven billion dollars. Going a little south of it, Dana. What do you think? Oh, this is tough because, but even before Len said anything, my initial reaction was, I think it was over a billion, but I don't remember oh, it's it being over a close to two. Well, I'm going to go with 1.6. Goes for the under. Going for the under. We've got Dana at 1.6, OG 1.7. Len is at 2 billion, rounded to 2 billion. We'll see who's right in just a minute. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Len, you kicked it off with $2 billion and you had a thought. 
Well, my thought was, because remember, I said I had two numbers. And, and now I have to be careful when I do this because, you know, I'm going first. So it's always, you have to kind of, my first number was 1.75 billion, which I think is oh. the actual number. But I was trying to play the game. I, I, I think OG's got this one. Uh, OG, do you think you got it? Uh, I've, you know, confidence is what a man feels before he learns all the facts. So, um, <laughs> and we get reminded of that every week here on the trivia very question. Very confident right now, but we'll see. I was pretty confident last week and got hosed. So we'll see. Dana feeling good. I'm feeling pretty good. 1.7 is a lot, but maybe that was it. Maybe we're about to find out, Doug, who wins this shindig. Well, I'll get to it eventually, Joe. You just got to sit of back course. and relax oh. and just listen. Just get on the ride. And, and we thought sing. Uncle Len was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, he always <laughs> chastises me. <laughs> hey there, stackers. I'm daydreamer and future lottery winner, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. During the break, I went out and got a new safe to keep my lottery tickets in until the drawing. I can't risk someone breaking in, rifling through the freezer and finding the empty ice cream container that I hide all my valuables in. Damn it. (laughs) Anyways, today's trivia question is, what is the highest lottery jackpot in U.S. history? The answer? Of all the lottery tickets you can buy, Powerball is by far the most popular with nearly 200 million people playing each year. Most people opt for choosing their own numbers, picking everything from lucky numbers to numbers from fortune cookies and even numbers that came to them in a dream. The average jackpot hovers around the $140 million mark. I mean, why bother at that point? But the highest jackpot in U.S. history went to a single winner down the street from Len who hit it. Oh, it was? It was the one for me. How big did he hit it? Well, he hit it for... uh, 0.44 0.44 billion more than what Dana guessed, 0.34 billion more than what OG guessed, and just 0.04 billion more than what Len guessed because the jackpot was $2.04 billion. And that means Uncle Lenny is our winner. Wow. Wow. All right. It was over two bills. Some cash. Wow. It was two bills. It's a nice start, but too bad you can't retire on it. That one wasn't the one down the street for me, though. The one down the street for me was like $1.4 billion, I thought. Joe, do you remember the person that we knew that won the Powerball that worked with us? Uh, I remember my client that won. Oh, how much? No, wow. Wasn't that person? I don't remember how much they won because most of it was gone by the time they became my client. And <laughs> by the time they got to you? Yes. They pulled a dunk. It's actually the only time in my entire career I advocated that my client sue their former advisor. Because the advisor had put all of their money into annuities, which were right at the break point of how much. So there's this commission that, Dana, you were alluding to earlier about all these sales techniques. And instead of having one annuity, they had like 35 annuities so that the advisor could maximize the amount of money to them. And get this, then before the surrender charges were over, because these annuities had surrender charges, the advisor was advocating they take streams of income they didn't need out of the annuity, triggering the surrender fees and taking the proceeds and putting them in new annuities so that oh, they geez. got commissions on it's that. It's gift that keeps well. on giving. Wow. Yes. wow. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It was criminal. It, it was completely criminal. I had one where my coworkers, there was a, this was right before I got hired into the company. But the coworkers went in. It was right after California had its started its lottery up, and there was like twenty of them went in and they won. And after taxes and everything, 
they each one got like $8,000 a year for 20 years or something like that, eight or $9,000 a year for 20 years. So it didn't make them rich, but they had fun with it, yeah. you know. That's OG's bar tab. I had a client at a CPA firm I worked at, and they had won a lottery that had a 20-year, they chose a 20-year payout. It was over a hundred grand a year, but they came in three years from their last payment. All of a sudden, they had nothing, right? Oh, they had three more years no. of payments, and now they were trying to figure out what to do. And and so no, it I, just it stuck with me as like, wow. Always take the lump sum. Yeah. That way, yes. if you're going to blow it. You blow it all right away. I have a, There's never a doubt. That's what I would do. <laughs> I have a cousin who won before the multi-state uh, lotteries became a thing. So it was an individual state. And I can't remember if it was Florida or Michigan, but they won $9 million. To me, the funny part of the story, and I've told this story in the show before, but it's been a while, was that I was right in the middle of a three-day offsite with a with senior leadership team of a large company doing a three-day total quality management seminar um, it was kind of all the TQ rage. Heard. Oh my god! Flex. Yeah, was, remember that, Len? Remember <laughs> yes. that? That yeah. was all the rage in the er, like early to mid nineties. Yeah. So we'd all go to offsite. We're in a hotel room, and on and inevitably, when I when I was doing these things, inevitably by the end of day one, there were always a couple of doubters who were just grumpy to be there, and they hated all of it. And at the end of day one, somebody just got pissed and it's like, "I'm so tired of this. It's all BS. There's no such thing as total quality. It can't be achieved. This is a waste." of all of our times and it just it always brings the room down and i'd done it enough by then to know it was coming and he said it's like winning the lottery sure it's possible but does anybody in this room actually know anybody who's won the lottery <laughs> and i had no answer i go home that night and on my drive home I get a call from my mom saying, your cousin just won the lottery. Serendipity. Uh, I walked wow. in the next day like a badass. <laughs> I was ready for this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know somebody. It was a, it was a great thing. Hey, uh, one more thing that always gets me with the lottery, people who play the lottery, especially when it's getting up there to like a billion dollars, and people will buy 100 tickets or 50 tickets. I'm thinking, do you even do statistics? I mean, the difference between you know your chance of winning is one in a billion or 10 in a billion, it's still infinitesimal. So why waste all – just buy one ticket and see if you're going to hit it. Yeah, there I mean, you go. Buying an extra 10 or 100 of them doesn't really – Yeah, you don't feel 10 times odd. the excitement. No, no, no. Buy a ticket and maybe you'll get lucky. Yeah, we'll get lucky if we get to the second half of the show. <laughs> the second half that reminds me of a carnival I went to in Arkansas once. <laughs> second half is brought to you by depositaccounts.com. Uh, Dana, you know what happens when you go to depositaccounts.com? I don't know, but I think you're going to tell me. I am. It's amazing how this works. And I will tell you, Dana, you can compare more than 275,000 deposit rates from over 11,000 banks and credit unions all for free. And I have it uh, open right now. If you go to depositaccounts.com, you'll see what it is on the day this is released. We record this a little bit ahead of time. But today, the national average savings account has ticked up to 0.52%, so just over half a percent. That is up to 100 since uh, last week when we looked. But the top 1%, if you're in the top 1%, 502 So you're either getting five or you're getting only half a percent. You know where you find that? Savings account CDs, checking money markets, and more. The top leaders in all those areas at depositaccounts.com. All right. Let's dive into the second half of this because Tony doesn't just present workaholism as a problem. He also presents a solution. And he says, 
How can one avoid being miserable and wealthy? It turns out that redefining the game-winning trophies is a great start. And Dana, he begins with the difference between Western society and Eastern society. Western society says more things when I die equals more goodness. Eastern society says shedding your things to find your true self is a better way to go. Sounds like he's siding with Eastern philosophy. You agree? I agree 100%. I think simplifying, whether it be your finances or the actual stuff around you, is huge. It's I don't know. You, we've all probably known people, whether you see the hoarder shows. I don't know if you've ever known any personally. I have. And, and they have an unhealthy relationship with their stuff, right? There's, it's emotional baggage that's coming along with all of this stuff. And so I think it's, it's huge to simplify, you know, with clothes. I have a one in, one out rule. I probably have the most streamlined closet that out of most females. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, no, if I can't see it, I won't know I own it. You know, that's it. One in, one out. Mine's not streamlined yet, but it's much, much better than it was just a couple of, I, I, did, I just said, this is madness. I don't I, know, Joe. I've seen that sweater now three weeks in a row. I think you've got... <laughs> that's because it's winter in Texarkana. Too streamlined. It's a too streamlined. This is my favorite sweater. That's why, Doug. But the t-shirt <laughs> under it, which today it's Moxie Cola, is a different, uh, different t-shirt every time. Len, after retirement, have you found yourself streamlining or going bigger? Oh, no, I'm streamlined. I've always been streamlined and I'm still streamlined. And yeah, I probably, if anything, I'm getting more streamlined, even, even more. It's, it's, I've always been about minimalism, living far below your means, not having a lot of stuff. And uh, it's just, you know, it's great. I, I know people that used to have, I'll, I'll use my late grandma, for example, God rest her soul, great woman. But she had, she must have had 200 pairs of shoes in her closet. And I used to think, grandma? You don't even get out of the house. Why do you have 200 pairs of shoes? But, you know, I, I, you know, how do you manage that on top of everything else in your life? I mean, you got the shoes to manage and everything. It's like, it's, isn't it better just to have three or four pairs of shoes and be done with it? I mean, it's just, it's so easy. You don't have to worry about it. It's, when you have large amounts of things that you have to, there's a management component in there that just complicates things, you know, so I don't know. I remember Sean Mullaney talking about that at a campfire. Sean Mullaney, who is, uh, describes the tax code very, very well for frugal people and talked about the, the tax upside to being frugal and said that, A, you're not buying things at this top tax bracket, right? As you earn more and more money, your tax bracket goes up. And that last thing you buy at the end that you really didn't need is something that's being taxed in the you know 30% plus range where things down, those original things, your essentials, are taxed much, much less. But he said something even more dire, which was if you go into any shopping mall, Len, you go into any store, no matter whether somebody takes care of the stuff or not, someday every single thing in this store is going to be in a landfill. And now I think that every time I go to any mall, I'm like, it's, it doesn't, it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, every single thing in this mall is going to be in a landfill. And you're like what's the point? Like, why do I have all this stuff? Oh, gee, I know in your life, the time that we've known each other, you've turned, you've turned really much more toward experiences. I remember Tracy McCubbin, the great organizational expert talking about how stuff depreciates, but experiences appreciate over time. It's a constant struggle because I like, I like stuff. My, my only addiction is collecting wine right now. 
Which is so you're um, working hard to consume it. Make sure that kind it's kind of unhealthy on all fronts, from the from the monetary aspect and and also the cons- consumption aspect of it. And we've started to spend a lot more attention on this in terms of where we're spending our time and where we're spending our money. I went through a thing a couple of weeks ago where I went through all my drawers. You're talking about your closet, cleaned all that stuff out, and then I took all the hanging clothes and I got this trick from I don't know some show or something, but flipped the hangers around backwards which annoys the hell out of me, by the way. And you set a timer. So basically six months from now, whatever, you go back into the closet, everything that's still facing the wrong direction, you can take off and send away, donate or you know, give away. Because if the hanger hasn't switched, you haven't worn it yet. And if you haven't worn it in six months, you're not going to wear it in the next six months. So it's okay to make it go away. We're definitely trying to think about it much more in a simplifier instead of a multiplier type of type of thinking. And that's... I mean, I think that's what I do for work is simplify things. You know, we try to do that for the show. I try to do that for clients. But for some reason in our uh, in our personal lives, it's been a little bit more of a struggle for sure. But um, but at least I'm conscious of it now. Hey, Joe, real quick. Yeah, Len. Every week I have a poll on my blog that I ask the readers. And, and just out of coincidentally, two weeks ago, I asked him this question. Do you believe it's better to direct most of your spending towards experiences rather than material possessions? And there were 1,800 responses. Do you want to care to guess how many people said uh, it's better to spend the money on experiences? 80-20. 80-20? No. Was 50, I had 52% said – only 52%. I thought this only was low. 52. Only 52. That is 52. low. Wow. Yeah. And 21 said no, and then the other 27 said they weren't sure. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I really thought the number would be about 80-20 as well. Yes. I was really shocked at that. And maybe it's because I've bought into that. I bought into happy more and more where I'm like, yeah. no, it's all about happy, not about uh, special. And, and, and buying things has never made me much happier. Dana? I was going to say, I wonder if they interpreted that question, material things more like art or collectibles or, I mean, for 27%, you know, it just makes me wonder like, wow, did they understand really what you were getting at? I, yeah, I don't know, Dana. It was really surprising, though. I was really shocked. Retail therapy is powerful, man. You're sitting there on the couch, and you've got an opportunity to buy like a weighted blanket or an automatic cheese straightener, and that stuff. I love my weighted blanket, by the way. Right. <laughs> I mean, you get instant gratification versus having to wait for nine months and schedule it, and then work gets in the way, and next thing you know, you're working when you're on vacation in you know Thailand, but you get your little thing in Amazon, and you're happy. I don't know. I kind of get it. I do love when it comes to experiences, what uh, we did a piece from Jonathan Clements, the former Wall Street Journal personal finance columnist, where he talked about, Doug, remember this, talked about booking trips way before you go, because part of the deliciousness of the experience is also the anticipation of it happening. I know on your mind a lot, you're about to go on a trip and, uh, uh, in, just, in just a couple of days. And I know you've been thinking about it more and more because I've been hearing about it the last few weeks. I'm worried about it because it like it's almost like New Year's Eve. This trip can't possibly be as good as what I've built it up in my mind over the <laughs> last three months. I'm so excited about it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of endorphins to be had. Endorphin harvesting is what I'm doing right now. Are you going to Bali? Uh, yeah, I know it because that's what stacking Benjamin's people do is go to Bali. I know the bar's you know, high, Doug. The bar's high. They they don't let me go there. I, you know where I go, Len? Instead of Bali, Idaho. Oh well, that's a yeah, that's a good place too. That's close. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever same, been same. to Bali, Idaho? It's a great town. It's like Paris, Michigan. 
can't even be Paris, Texas, which is the second most uh, popular Texas out there. There's a second piece to this that he has, by the way, which is accolades and pleasing strangers were influential to me a few years ago. Like drinking seawater, this desire can never be satisfied. I got to assume, Dana, when your boss said that in the 90s, it will never be enough. There was a piece of you, I mean, these bosses say this by design, that wanted to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. When did you make the switch from, no, you're, you're, you're like, nope. Were no, you out right I, away? I, I remember thinking, oh my God, what have I done? This is not oh. the place for me. I just knew it wasn't the place for me. And so, yeah, that for me was just like an instant sinking feeling in my stomach. Like I'm very culture oriented. Like this is like, I want to be happy coming to work every day. Think about how much time we spend at work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of our energy and effort. And so, you know, I want to be happy doing it every day and, and happy showing up there and have people that are feel supported around me. And so for me, that was innate. I mean, I sent myself a postcard when I was like 20 saying, remember, spread a little sunshine everywhere you go. I think it's like my nature, right? It's just like, yeah. that's my nature. And yeah. so for me, it was instant. Like this place is not for me. So what do you do to make sure that you chase happy? You know, I don't even know if the word chase is right. But like today, I mean, I started this off saying, you know, I got to run an errand in the middle of the day, actually prepping for this podcast helped me think about that. Like, yeah, you know what? It's okay. Take an hour off in the middle of the day and go get this done. And and so those are the things of, you know, scheduling time to go play pickleball. We just went up to Colorado and took a few days off. And, you know, you have to schedule those things in. I've never been what I call a workaholic. You know, I probably work on average more than 40 hours a week, but rarely more than 50. And so to me, you know, of course, there's those times where client stuff comes up and you got to dig in and get it done. That's what they pay us for. You know, you might be working all weekend on a big decision that a client has to make, but there's other times where it's like, all right. I'm done at three. I'm going home. So finding that balance. And for us, we encourage our staff to have that balance. We're very supportive. No one has to clock in and answer where they had to be for the last two hours if they need to take their kid to a doctor or, you know, run an errand or take the car in. Those are the things that I, I think are super important. Having Joe, autonomy. I'm still, I'm still stuck on the fact that she said she prepped for this. For this podcast, I got the same thing. <laughs> Damn! Well, I read the article. I've realized too, Dana, that this is that, that I love what I do, but it's a marathon, and I really despise being here past five o'clock. Past five o'clock, I am. I want nothing to do with it until seven thirty, eight o'clock the next morning that I'm back. But it's got to be that, and I don't work hardly at all on Tuesdays, like four days a week. And then take Tuesday to go have that free day and do something else is magic for me. Len, how do you chase happy? And once again, chase might not be the right word. Yeah. The big revelation for me was to stop pleasing others and, and please yourself first. I mean, that's what turned everything around for me in my early 30s. It took me until I was about 32 to figure out everything I did was to please others until around 32, the switch went off. And I said, this is, you know what? It's my life. I'm going to do what's good for me. And what makes me happy and everything changed when I changed that mindset for me, that was huge. Now, the one thing I do want to say about working along, it, it takes experience to know what's really important and what's not important. So I know mm. when you're first starting off at work, it, you might not know when it's for staying extra uh, at work, you know, do I have to stay two or three extra hours at work today? It, sometimes that takes experience to know whether you really do. If you're not sure, stay at work. But over time, it won't take too long, but within a year or two, you'll start figuring out 
Is it really important? Do they really need me today to stay an extra three hours or can it wait till tomorrow? Just spend some time. You will learn the longer you work what's truly important. Most of the time, I would say in my job, I'd say 85% of the time, if somebody said, hey, we need you to stay an extra hour or two, I realized, no, that's not true. The place is not going to come crashing to the ground if we wait till tomorrow morning to pick it up. So um, try and figure out discerning what's truly important. Most of the time, it's very rare that you actually have to be there for an extra hour or two. It can wait. It's so funny, Len. Same for me. Early on in my career, it was what goes on the task list. And now increasingly, it's what comes off. Like yep. what is the, what is yep. the thing that just I, I don't I don't need to do? Oh gee, how about you fencing off happy? Ultimately, I think that there's a lot of truth to the phrase of you know if you're doing what you like to do, then you're not actually working at all. You know, you're not working a day in your life type of thing. I think we all know people that just continue to do what they want to do, and there is no end of that because they're doing the things that they want to do. You know, Dana, you were talking about your doctor client who was doing what he wanted to do. You're telling that story. Joe, I was thinking about the physician that you and I knew who worked well into his 90s. I don't know if he was doing it because he financially had to or not, but he's, when we interacted with him, it certainly he looked clearly like he, was, loved it. he was doing what he wanted to do. He was a pediatrician to our kids when he was 95 years old and he just loved doing. My grandfather worked when he was 92 years old. He was still at the office. He wasn't working. He wasn't you know, hauling paper around. <laughs> he was, he was there. He was doing what he wanted to do. But you know, it's interesting that he did though at that point, cause he was, I mean, I know enough about this guy. Oh gee, that he's well beyond financial independence, not a workaholic. I mean, he made it, I think either two or three days a week that he would work. And it was just to get that yeah. love and feeling of doing what he loves to do, you know, just continuing Absolutely. to, yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely and not workaholic. So many people are focused on like, oh my gosh, you know, you got to retire when you're 60 or 65 or 70 or whatever. It's like, well, you don't have to, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. The nice thing about planning on working until you're 75, if you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I'm going to keep doing this is guess what? You don't have to save as much money, which means you don't have to work as hard, which means that you can have fun now too. You don't have to, there's like all these great things that come from expanding your time horizon. You know, we've learned in coach, you know, it's underestimate the stuff that you can get done in 25 years and overestimate the stuff that you do in one year. Just take a longer time horizon to get to do the math and it all works out always. So I think Len said it best, just make yourself happy. If something's not right, just fix it for yourself. The world will still continue to turn. Well, what I found OG was the big uh, paradox um, and this is also uh, partly from strategic coach, but just has been amazing is the more I put fencing around my work hours and avoid work workaholism, the more stuff gets done when I show up at work, the more stuff gets done in my family life, the more the important stuff in my life happens when I yeah, focus on results. Yeah. When I focus on happy versus impressing other people, all the magic just begins to align itself. What's the saying? Work expands to fill the time allotted. It totally Absolutely. does. And, I, it, and how many of us have known workaholics, Dana, that just... You, you can feel it, but they're so wearing the badge of I work harder than you that you can't convince them that there might be a better way. Hopefully it's convinced a couple of our stackers though to look a better way because there's no sense of being miserably wealthy. I hope that helped you not become miserably wealthy, but I also hope that the things that each of the three of you are doing outside of here is going to help people too. Well, OG, let's start with you. What do you got going on this weekend, my friend? 
kid stuff like crazy. Track meets, baseball games. We are elbow deep in spring You're playing dad. sports right now. You're being now. dad. Yep. Yep. I'm well, my middle kid plays baseball and not my most favorite, you know, sport. I think you're saying not my, my most favorite, favorite kid. <laughs> not my most favorite kid either. They're tied. They're all tied for first and last at the same time. That's really weird. You do remind them sometimes they're tied for last, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Who's your favorite? I'm like, well, you guys are all tied for either first or last. You get to decide today which one that is. But I weaseled myself into being the official team scorekeeper. So oh. I'm learning how to score baseball on an app and I keep all the stats on max preps. So I'm engaged in the game. I'm watching my kid taking videos of him too, but you know, I got to watch every ball and strike and you Consequently, know, Consequently so. the, the texting volume from OG to me has skyrocketed <laughs> since he became does a baseball gay, guy. And I'm like, wait, tell me the difference between a pass ball and a wild pitch because I got three of them. I need to score and I don't know what to do. So it's fun times. That's what's going on this weekend. Len, what's going on at LenPenzo.com, man? Well, this week, you know, the advantage of having a blog for, gosh, how many years, 16, 17 years, is I can go back into the archives every Scoreboard. once in a while and pull out some gems. And this week, I've pulled out one of the all-time great gems where we discussed the day that we went into the mailbox and we got the phone bill. The And the phone bill was normally, it comes in a regular little teeny number 10 envelope. This phone bill came in an 8 by 11 manila oh, no. uh, envelope, oh, no. and it was about an inch thick. And we opened it up, and we realized that my son went on a phone call spree. This was before they had a, you know all-you-can-talk or whatever plans. And uh, the bill was 140-some pages, and nice. it was a thou- over a $1,000 phone bill. So uh, I just... Detail the whole story there at lenpenso.com on my son wow. and the thousand plus dollar phone bill. Wow. Yes. A cautionary tale. Not a good day at the <laughs> Penso family house. How soon after that did he end up working at the car wash to cover that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dana, thanks for hanging out with us again. But uh, I have the very important question How many steps did you walk? Okay, how many steps? I've got my calculator out. So right now I'm at 4267, but when you asked me, I was at 1457. So it was 2810. Wow, just over your, but Dana, you you had inside information. You know how fast you walk, which really means I just beat Doug. That's all that we really have to focus (laughs) on. You guys suck. So what's going on to Sensible Money? What are you guys doing? You're always doing some workshops, some training, some fun thing. We are. So right now I'm getting ready for our next webinar, which is March. I can't remember the date, maybe the 28th, but it's with Fritz Gilbert, who is the founder of the Retirement Manifesto blog. And his work ties into everything we've been talking about today in terms of really finding purpose and intentionality in retirement. You know, I've never seen anyone write about it as well as he does. I love this, you know, idea of he set different want to call it like frameworks around how they were going to approach retirement. Things like remain curious, you know, be open-minded. And so they had this, that's where his manifesto came from. And so I get to do some work with him and prepping for our upcoming webinar. And we're going to be talking about a lot of that kind of stuff. So that's fun stuff for me. We did a uh, a topic of a recent Friday was Fritz. Uh, Len, I think you were in yeah, that two conversation. Weeks ago. Yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. We, we covered it. Yeah. Yeah, talked about the uh, planning beyond the numbers. 
Yeah. Playing for all the emotional stuff. Great stuff. And uh, people can find details, though, at SensibleMoney.com, I assume? They can. They'll find the webinar on SensibleMoney.com. Scroll to the bottom left. You'll see it. Awesome. And if you're walking the dog right now, you know what? Just go to our website, StackyBenjamins.com, and hit the uh, show notes link for today's show, and you'll find both what Dana is up to with Fritz and Len Penzo's amazing thousand bajillion dollar phone bill story there as well. All right. That's going to do it for today. Let's put a bow on this, Doug. What should we have? uh, What's on our to-do list today? Well, Joe, here's what's stacked up on our to-do list today. First, take some advice from our panel. Hoping to be special, maybe happy is a better move. Second, take some advice from me. If you're not happy with what you've got, you're not going to be happy with what you're going to have. Happiness comes from within. But what's the biggest to do? Always make sure you set the code on a new safe before you lock your valuables inside. Otherwise, you're going to have to haul your safe down to the 7-Eleven to claim your millions. Thanks to Dana Onspach for joining us today. You can find out more about Dana at SensibleMoney.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at StackingBenjamins.com. Thanks also to Len Penzo for joining us today. You can find Len at LenPenzo.com slash telephone bills. And thanks also to OG for joining us today. Looking for good financial planning help? Head to StackingBenjamins.com slash OG for his calendar. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2024, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, Kate Youngkin, Karen Repine, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course you do, but you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of the show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude, Stacy Doe, and Julia Garib are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. For more interactive fun, join us on Instagram every Tuesday and Thursday for our Instagram Lives. Kate Yonkin and Joe host those weekly. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have 
served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.